Well, hello again, church family. This will be the uh, third time I've had the privilege of bringing a lesson to you. My name is Russ Adams, and uh, because I've introduced myself before, I'm I'm not going to do so again, but uh, it's just a pleasure to be with you today and uh, looking forward to our study today. We're going to begin a new book, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, I did want to open us up with a word of prayer before we begin, and uh, then we'll uh, begin this uh, study today. So if you would, just uh, please pray with me. Father God, thank you for bringing us together. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Uh, As we begin this uh, study on a rather unusual book, uh, I just pray that you would uh, guide me as I I offer uh, uh, the result of my study, and uh, uh, just pray that you would uh, use it uh, uh, completely within the the boundaries of the truth that you want us to, to receive from it. Father, remind us uh, that the purpose of this, we're going to talk about a lot of things today, but uh, uh, the purpose is always that we would know you and know your heart, and that the Holy Spirit would be able to use this truth uh, to transform us and make us more like your Son, and uh, uh, that's our prayer today. So bless this time that we'll spend together. Uh, Thank you for the truth of your word, and we just give you all the praise in Christ's name. Amen. Well, okay, I'd uh, like to welcome you to today's study. We're uh, continuing in this quarter's uh, lessons. We have uh, uh, this week and next week remaining. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the Proverbs uh, study as uh, much as I did. It was a really, really special time uh, in that book. I know in my class we made a very intentional effort not just to be in the uh, quarterly, but uh, to read through all the Proverbs and uh, share with each other things that we had discovered there and all that. So an example of that was last week. Uh, Of course, that was the final lesson in in the Proverbs series. And in chapter 30, uh, we had the wisdom of Augur. Uh, Again, we don't know who he was, but uh, the wisdom he shared in chapter 30 was pretty special. Uh, In verses 18 and 19 of chapter 30, uh, he stated that there were things too wonderful for him to understand, uh, and he listed four of them. And the last was the way of a man and a maid, which is to say this thing we call love. So that was something that he found very, very wonderful. And uh, uh, for these uh, next two weeks to finish out this quarter, uh, we're going to study uh, another book attributed to Solomon, uh, the Song of Songs. Uh, your, your Bible may title it the Song of Solomon, or maybe even Canticles, but it's the same book. Uh, and its very subject is what Augur was speaking about, the way of a man and a maid. Uh, it's a unique book. It's unlike any other in Scripture, uh, which is uh, both a delight and a challenge. So we look forward uh, to that. So a few words about the book generally. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, states that the author is Solomon. So we know that it is a a, a book of Solomon. Uh, Basically, the book is a love story. The style of the book is love poetry, which is uh, rather interesting. Uh, It turns out that in the period, uh, not only in the Hebrew but in neighboring cultures, uh, love poetry was actually a genre. And uh, uh, this this, uh, follows that pattern. It's almost a, a series of poems that are linked together, and when you read it, it, it very much seems like you're almost reading like scenes in a play. So uh, yeah, it reads very much that way, and, and we'll, we will see that today as well. Uh, 
So let's talk about the characters we're going to uh, see in, in this uh, long love poem. Uh, there are two main characters that we will uh, see throughout the book. Uh, we have a maiden from the country who is often referred to as the beloved. And we have uh, her lover, uh, also known as the bridegroom. And he is apparently a shepherd. At least that's the way he's portrayed in the love poem. We also find a chorus from time to time, and uh, the chorus is referred to as the, the young women of Jerusalem, the maidens of Jerusalem. Uh, we have a narrator who on a couple occasions uh, you know, narrates what's going on. And also at the, uh, the end, the beloved's brothers uh, appear and have something to say. Now, it's very interesting that in chapter 3, Solomon also makes an appearance. Uh, he doesn't speak, but the narrator speaks about him. Uh, we'll talk about that appearance in just a moment. It's rather, rather interesting. So the outline of the book, and I'm going to talk about the whole book uh, today just to kind of give us an overview. Uh, we find that there are many, many approaches to outlining this book. It is, it is very hard uh, to pin down. We'll talk about that some too. Uh, they're not all completely obvious, and it's also hard to tell who is speaking some of the time. Uh, the usual approach in the books is to, to label in some fashion uh, who is speaking, and frankly, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's up for grabs, but they do the best they can, and it works the same. Uh, the most common approach to the, the structure of the book is to consider it a romance story, because we see in the beginning that there's a courtship, uh, the courtship phase moves on to a wedding. Uh, there's a mention of the wedding night. Apparently, there's a settling in to uh, married life and some of the challenges there. And uh, we just have the growth of a mature and loving relationship portrayed in this, in this whole book. So that's the approach I'm going to use in, in, in my study. So about Solomon and his connection with this book. That's a topic all unto itself. In this love story, we see the two lovers who are just absolutely crazy about each other. And there's no one else in the picture. So this leads to a question, uh, which I refer to as the elephant in the room. Is this story autobiographical? Now, personally, I wonder about that. I find it very difficult to reconcile the exclusivity of the relationship in this love story with the fact that Solomon had 700 wives and another 300 concubines. Uh, we know that from 1 Kings 11.3, and uh, that passage goes on to make clear that that arrangement was not to his benefit. Uh, but for that reason, when I read the uh, title verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, which basically in the uh, uh, Holman Christian Bible says uh, Solomon's finest song. It's also, uh, I think the Hebrew is the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Uh, some read that as uh, meaning that this is Solomon's personal story, his personal love story. Uh, but I choose to read that as the wonderful love song that was written by Solomon. However, Solomon does appear in chapter 3 as the bridegroom. So it is possible that this is about his first love before he became polygamous. It's been suggested by some that Solomon may have written the Song of Songs as a young adult. 
Proverbs in his middle age, and Ecclesiastes as an elderly man. And there is a certain appeal to this, I have to admit. You know, it could also be true that Solomon wrote himself into his own hypothetical love story. So we really don't know which of those is true. And all this illustrates how difficult it can be to try to nail this book down. And that's the reason I, I prefer to take the very simple approach of just accepting it at face value as the story of a man and a woman passionately in love. Uh, there are applications, of course, but we'll discuss them later. So let's get into the word. Uh, the background passage for today's lesson uh, covers chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 1. And if we are following the outline of that romance story, uh, this is going to take us through the courtship and the wedding and the wedding night. So as I said, I'm going to be reading today from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. I found that to be a particularly uh, readable version for the, for the poem and uh, I, th I think that uh, you'll appreciate that as well. So, the narrative begins with the beloved speaking. And she is very clearly in love. Let's look at the uh, second verse of, of chapter 1. Oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. We learn a little bit more about her in verses 5 and 6. When she speaks and says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I am dark like the tents of Kidar, yet lovely like the curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, for the sun has gazed on me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me a keeper of the vineyards. I have not kept my own vineyard. We're introduced to her lover, a verse later in, in verse 7. Tell me, you, the one I love, where do you pasture your sheep? Where do you let them rest at noon? Why should I be like one who veils herself besides the flocks of your companions? So these seem like pretty everyday people to me, and that's how they are portrayed in the, uh, in the, in the uh, love story. Now, there are occasional references to royalty, uh, but these, to me, seem to be in the realm of the poetic. So how do they describe each other? This is where the book gets very, very interesting and, and very colorful. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. In this one, the, the lover is speaking to, to the beloved. How beautiful you are, my darling. How very beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she replies, how handsome you are, my love, and how delightful. Our bed is lush with foliage. So this is, uh, uh, this is how they describe each other. Clearly, this is a couple that is just absolutely crazy about each other. Uh, they love each other. They love being together. And uh, that also includes uh, they love being together physically. Uh, there's a lot in this book that speaks of physical intimacy. So let's look at chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, just for an example of that. Now, the woman is speaking, and she says, Sustain me with raisins, and refresh me with apricots, for I am lovesick. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. So, they know this is a serious relationship. 
And uh, they also take care about that. The very next verse, verse 7 in chapter 2, says, Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does in the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. We find that throughout the book. That's a repeated refrain. And just about at every phase of this romance story, uh, one or the other will, will make that uh, refrain of, of reminding people to be careful about this love thing. It's very serious. It needs to be, needs to be protected and watched over. So when they're apart, they miss each other. They can't wait to be together again. Listen to the woman's joy when her lover returns from being away for a time and comes to her house. This is in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Listen, my love is approaching. Look, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My love is like a gazelle or a young stag. Look, he's standing behind our wall, gazing through the windows, peering through the lattice. So isn't that a sweet picture? Uh, he's come to, to visit, and he's come to her house, and uh, she's very excited about that. So with that background, we actually come to the focal passage today. The focal passage begins at uh, uh, ch uh, chapter 2, verse 15, and it continues through chapter 3, verse 5. Now, verse 15 in chapter 2 is a very fascinating verse, just all in itself. The woman speaking, and that's apparently the woman, says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. Now, the Song of Songs uses symbolic language extensively. It is just absolutely full of similes and metaphors. And uh, in the region at this time, uh, vineyards were enclosed by walls and hedges to protect them. Uh, but they're not speaking here about actually protecting a particular vineyard. They're actually speaking of their love. Little foxes could get into these uh, vineyards uh, because they were small, despite the walls and the hedges. And if they got in, they could do serious damage. So in this verse, the beloved is uh, using this metaphor to wisely warn that their relationship must be carefully protected against those little things that might get in and end up doing great harm. Now this is all the more important because look at that last phrase, for our vineyards are in bloom. Well, what does that refer to? Well, apparently their courtship has progressed to their anticipation of their wedding. The wedding does appear to be imminent and she continues in verses 16 and 17 to speak of that. My love is mine, and I am his. He feeds among the lilies. Before the day breaks and the shadows flee, turn to me, my love, and, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the divided mountains. So clearly they're anticipating the day of their wedding coming very soon. Uh, it's joys and it's... Uh, uh, you know, just, just the joy of the day is very clearly being anticipated. So that brings us to chapter 3. And there's another recurring theme throughout uh, the, the Song of Songs, and that's a theme of seeking and finding. 
we repeatedly find these lovers uh, looking for and finding each other. So chapter 3 begins with an example of this. I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 3 in chapter 3 to do that. This is the woman speaking, and she says, In my bed at night, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but I could not find him. I will arise now and go about the city through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. The guards who go about the city found me. Have you seen the one I love? I asked them. Now, I believe that this is the beloved relating a troubling dream she had. There are some details in it that really don't fit how people would actually behave going through, the, through a city at night, uh, unprotected and that sort of thing. So, uh, But in this dream, uh, she was seeking her lover and she couldn't find him. And the, clearly this panicked her. But fortunately, this dream has a happy ending, and that's found in verse 4. She says, I had just passed them, referring to the guards, when I found the one I love. I held on to him, and I would not let him go until I brought him to my mother's house, to the chamber of the one who conceived me. Now, that's a really interesting thing. She, uh, she was seeking her lover whom she had uh, been an, unable to find and had been panicked by that. Uh, when she found him, she held on to him and wouldn't let him go. And then she took him home. She took him home to see mother. That's a really neat thing. Uh, after all, the wedding hasn't happened yet. And whether or not this was uh, a dream or actually real, uh, whatever, they're being careful to stay within God's expectations for their relationship. And this is a perfect time to repeat the cautionary refrain from the daughter to the daughters of Jerusalem. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the wild does of the field, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. So there's that repeated uh, message. So at this point, we arrive at the wedding day. Uh, the narrator describes the wedding procession, and the bridegroom is King Solomon. Now, it almost seems out of place, and I personally kind of wonder if Solomon, Solomon just couldn't resist imagining himself as part of his own story. But the imagery is grand. And verse 11 in chapter 3 concludes, The day of his wedding, the day of his heart's rejoicing. And I can tell you that that's exactly the way I felt on the day of my wedding. So that's how personal this book can be. We can apply it to our lives as we read through it. Now in chapter 4 and the first verse of chapter 5, we find the couple together on the wedding day and on the wedding night. Uh, this passage is just filled with comparative imagery, uh, much of which made a lot more sense in their culture than in ours. Uh, but the intent is still very well conveyed. Uh, the narrator concludes by encouraging the couple to be intoxicated with their love. So that's just a really sweet ending to that. And that's where we're going to conclude our, our, our passage today as we go through the, the actual passage. Well, by now, another question has probably presented itself. 
What is this unusual little book doing in my Bible anyway? For one thing, it never mentions God. But then, neither do the book of Esther or the book of Ecclesiastes. It's also a very passionate love poem, and it's filled with references to intimacy, uh, both emotional and physical. But there are many applications to the message of this story, and that's why it's in our Bibles. First of all, this is a book about love. There is much in this couple's relationship that we can apply to our own relationships. They are passionate. Their relationship is permanent, not casual. They keep it within the boundaries established by God for the expression of their physical intimacy. And it is not wrong to apply the book at this level. Now, when this couple is together, in the poem, we often find them in a garden. And that reminds us of another garden in which a man and a woman enjoyed physical intimacy perfectly free from selfishness and shame. Of course, sin spoiled that for them and for us. But God's design and his intent remain unchanged, and he can guide us back to it. This book is a beautiful illustration for us in such a relationship. But beyond that, God has always used marriage as a way to teach us about his relationship with us. In the Old Testament, his relationship with Israel is often spoken of as a marriage. In Ephesians 5.32, Paul says of marriage, this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So in this love story, we have the opportunity to consider our relationship with Christ. And so I have some questions about that for us. Is our relationship with him personal? Is it faithful? Is it exclusive? And this is the best question. Is it passionate? It's a really good question because you can have all of the other things, but without the passion, it's just not right. That's why we consider this book so, so special to us in, in the picture it gives us and the, and the encouragement it gives us to think about our relationship with Christ in this way. After all, it is a love story. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending this time uh, in, in the Word with you. Uh, next week, the quarter will conclude and also the uh, study of this book, and we'll see where the, where the love story takes us next. It has some really, really interesting turns in it and more things to learn. Uh, but I hope you'll uh, be back next week. And in the meantime, as I always encourage my own class, uh, don't just read the uh, selected portions in the quarterly. Read the whole thing. In fact, I encourage my class to read the whole book, and if you're a couple, uh, read it uh, together. Read it out loud together. Uh, there are a couple moments in it that make you blush a little bit, but that's fine. And, uh, and mostly, it's just such a sweet story and so much to learn. It's, it's not a very long book. Uh, I encourage you to do that. So uh, let's, let's conclude uh, the lesson today with a word of prayer. And uh, I just uh, hope you'll have a very, very blessed week. It's been a pleasure uh, doing this today. 
Father God, we are so grateful for your word. We're so thankful for the truth of it, for the fact that you intend to convey to us, uh, you know, most of all, how much you love us and how much you want to be loved by us. Uh, help us to take that seriously. Uh, we want our, our relationship with you to be passionate in that way and to have all the characteristics we've talked about uh, in, this, in this lesson. Uh, Father, I ask that you would uh, use this now. Uh, that the, We know it's in, it's in the Bible because uh, you intend to use it to transform us. Uh, you're going to let the Holy Spirit work on us with the truth of this passage today and uh, use it in a, in a way that you always do to bring us into a little bit more conformity with your Son. Uh, thank you for that. Help us to be attentive to it and open to it. Uh, we just give you all the praise, Father. Uh, your word tells us that if we love you, it's only because you loved us first. And we just give you the thanks for that and the praise. And we pray in the mighty and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.